Welcome to One Life Online, a podcast that brings you the weekly sermons at One Life Church, Kampala. In this episode, we listen to a sermon presented by David Davis. As you listen to this message, may the Lord speak to you through His Word by His Spirit and cause you to walk according to His will by His grace. As I was uh, preparing uh, for today, uh, turn in your Bibles, by the way, to Galatians chapter 5. Uh, when I began to think about what I would like to share, I wanted to talk about a couple. There are a number, there's a list of the one another's in Scripture, a whole list of them, 20, 30 of them. And I wanted to share about a couple of those. Two of them are in chapters 5 and 6 of the book of Galatians serve one another and carry each other's burdens. So as I started to prepare, thinking about those two one another's that are part of what we do as the Church of Jesus Christ, I started digging into these chapters and ah, I, I love the book of Galatians. I'm glad they had a problem in the churches in the area of Galatians. By the way, there's not a city called Galatia. It's a province in present-day Turkey. And if you remember from your history in the book of Acts, when Paul was traveling, he went to Derby, Lystra, Iconium, Pisidian Antioch, cities like that. Those are all in this province. So when he's writing this book, it's to those believers in those places. I don't think there's a church in any of those locations today. Can the Church of Jesus Christ disappear in Uganda? Yes, it is possible. If we don't share our faith, if we don't stand for Jesus, this church could disappear. In 100 years, people will look back and say, if the Lord doesn't come back before then. Wasn't there a church in the central part of Uganda at one point? And they say, where did it go? So when we are instructed by the Bible to practice our faith, we need to take that seriously because the church is here, but it's not permanent unless we help it be permanent. So in this, in this particular chapter, Paul is reminding us that believers in Christ have moved from a situation of following the law and works orientation to now they are in a system of grace where we don't have to do all those sacrifices. We don't have to only walk a certain distance on Saturday. We don't have to follow this rule and that rule and take our spices and take a tenth of them out like the Pharisees like to do. So you don't have to do that anymore, but he says we have to be careful. Because if, if we're not under the law, the system we are under, then we need to be able to practice our faith in a way that is still relevant. So the, the problem here that he's trying to address is how can man, sinful by nature, come to God who is holy by nature? In these churches, there were many people of the current culture of the day. And you know, the Roman culture was not particularly a religious culture. They had many idols, they had many things they did. 
uh, that were not really very good. The Judaizers answer, what, who were the Judaizers? Judaizers were people who had come to faith, but they said, we have to still practice stuff from the law, from the Mosaic law. We have to do all those things we did before. And in a minute, we'll see what one of those or two of those were. So the Judaizers said, you have to earn your salvation by still practicing all that stuff. And what is Paul's answer to that same question? He said, man is too weak, but is justified by grace through faith alone. And he is too weak to be sanctified unless he walks in and with the Holy Spirit. We're going to see that in this text, in this chapter. So Paul is coming to us and saying, we don't have to follow that system. But if, we, if we're going to be justified and sanctified, we have to pay attention to a few things. By the way, what is justification? Justification is the fact that when we accept Jesus Christ and his penalty for our sins, he says, you are now justified before God. Now, you should never use the same word to communicate its meaning. So you are declared righteous. That's what justification means. What does sanctification mean? That is the process of me and you becoming more and more like Jesus Christ every day. We are on a journey. When will we be perfect? Are you perfect yet? I'm not. We will be perfect someday. We will see Jesus and it says, we will be like him for we will see him as he is. What a wonderful day that will be. No more sin. It's possible. It's what Paul is talking about here. So when we're justified by faith, how is that applied? We know from the book of Ephesians, for by grace you are saved through faith, not of yourselves, and in that particular slide, it does not have the next verse that says, not of works. Why? Because if it was by works, we would boast and say, see what I did? Paul says it's not that way. It's by faith. So Paul is giving us four principles now that he wants us to pay attention to in, in this process of what it means to be justified and sanctified. So the first one he talks about in his teaching is the fact that in relation to our liberty, we are free in Christ. Because these people in the churches in Galatia were saying, no, you have to still practice this stuff from the Mosaic law. So he's saying, no, you are free in Christ to not have to do those things. It was for freedom, verse 1 of chapter 5, that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Freedom is a good thing. We love freedom because sometimes it's interpreted that nobody can tell me what to do. That's one side of freedom. That's not exactly what Paul is talking about here because he's talking about a yoke of slavery. And in Pakistan, we still, we lived in Pakistan for a number of years, and they still had oxen, and they were in a yoke in front of an ox cart. When you are in that yoke, 
And ox on the left goes, wants to go left, and ox on the right wants to go right. Is that possible? No. You are yoked together. Where A goes, B goes. Where one goes, the other goes. So Paul is saying you are free to make choices in your faith. But who are we yoked to? He said, don't be yoked to slavery. The slavery he was referring to is this system that was so heavy on Jewish people. It's still heavy on Jewish people today. They have to do and do and do and do. Paul says, you don't have to do that. Don't be slaves to this yoke of slavery. And so he mentions two things. Verse 2, mark my words, if you let yourselves be circumcised, because the Judaizers were saying, okay, if you come to Christ, these are prime, probably Gentile believers in this province. You come to Christ, you have to be circumcised. Most Romans were not circumcised. All Jews were circumcised. If you were a good Jew, that was done. So now the Judaizers are saying, you got to go through this. You have to be circumcised. If you're going to be a real Christian, you have to be circumcised. Paul says, don't get into that slavery. And then he says another thing here. Uh, he gets on further down in this, uh, uh, let's see, where's my verse here? Verse 9. He said, a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. You'll notice I'm skipping several verses. What does he mean by yeast in this context? He's saying here, if you say you have to follow one rule, say of the Ten Commandments, don't you have to follow all of them? If you're following the law, you do. So how, how is that possible? Was it possible for the Jewish people? No, it wasn't. They tried, but they couldn't be perfect any more than we can be perfect. So Paul is saying to them here, don't let this yeast happen to you because what happens with yeast? My, my wife's a good baker and she uses yeast in some things, not all things, but in some things. And when you put yeast in dough, it starts to go a little bit this way, a little bit that way, and pretty soon the whole batch is full of yeast. If you go down this road of having to follow the rules, there's no end. It just permeates everything. The whole society is that way. We lived in, in the country of Pakistan, and the Muslim faith has certain very similar requirements. You have to do these things very religiously. It's your duty. And I asked many of them, can you do them all? No. And neither can we. So Paul is saying, in relation to your liberty to practice, you're free in Christ, but be careful that you don't go down the route of these Judaizers. Then he says in verse 13, 14, don't use your freedom, verse 13, to indulge the flesh. So he said, yes, you're free. You can make choices in your life as a follower of Jesus Christ. But don't use that to indulge, and, and the word I'd like to use is license. Can we make choices? Yes. Is it always wise to make those choices? No. So he say, you are free to make the choices, but be careful the things you choose. And it's in, in this context of 
indulging the flesh, and he tells us a few verses later what that means. So in this context of making those choices, or it's possible to make those choices, he said, serve one another. This is the first another, one another in, the, in this passage. Serve one another. We are through love to serve. Rather than use our choices to do anything we want, we are to make choices that serve others. This is in the context of service and duty in this context of slavery. The Roman society knew all about slavery. Today we kind of have, it's, it's not so, you don't go to Design Hub and there's 20 people for sale as slaves. We don't do that anymore in most places. Probably in some places they still do. There are conditions of slavery in many parts of the world where people are trafficked and things like that. But we don't do slavery like they did in the Roman times. So when Paul is using this term about slavery, he knows what it means. You have no rights as a slave. You have no rights as a servant. We, we, when I was in Bible school, we liked to talk about servant leadership. It's a great topic, but it's hard to do well. And if you're a servant leader, you do the things nobody else wants to do. Why? Because you're a servant. There really is no choice. This is the application of Leviticus 19, verse 18, where we read that the love your neighbor as yourself. This is what it means to serve others. You do for them what somebody, isn't, somebody else isn't willing to do. We do it for them. He's talking in this context about forgiveness and sacrificially serving others. Mark 10:45 says, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. Jesus left heaven. Think about this. The king of the universe who created everything we see every day, beautiful green Uganda, God created that. He sent his son to be a servant. Philippians tells us he was so willing that he went down the path of being willing to die on a cross for you and for me. That's real service. Greater love has no man than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. I want to talk a little bit about volunteerism. Because this church needs volunteers. If you see a need, you should fill a need. Do you see anything that needs to be done around here every Sunday morning? Lots happens here. You know, sometimes when I walk in, I say, oh, good, somebody else is doing it. I don't have to. That's not the spirit of what Paul is talking about here. The spirit he's talking about here is when we see a need, we volunteer to do it. We help somebody else get it done. And I think we need to keep asking ourselves that in the church on a regular basis. If there is a need, Lord, do you want me to fill that need? Do you want me to help in some way? Sometimes it's not our automatic response, but it should be. Sunday service is help, set up, take down, take the offering, serve communion, audition, and join the choir. 
By the way, we want good people singing. Some of us are not so good. You do not want some of us in the choir. But other people that can sing, share the load. Hospitality team. Somebody makes cookies, somebody buys bananas, somebody brings matoke, uh, not matoke, they bring uh, chapatis. Uh, maybe someday somebody will bring matoke when we have something here, but. Sunday school, can you teach? Maybe you can't teach, can you help a teacher? We need, a, we need many people to make this work. Life groups, volunteer to lead a session. Don't make the host people always do that. Volunteer to do that, help get it done. When there's a SWAT event, we should participate, we should go. So in this, in this sense where, where Paul is saying to the believers in this church in Galatia, if we, get, if we need to get the job done, we have to serve one another. We have to help one another get what needs to be done. We need to get it done and finish what God is calling us to do. Then he moves on to the, the uh, gifts um, in, in this passage, he talks here. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 7 says, to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit. And then there's four words at the end of that verse that say, for the common good. So why do we volunteer? For all of us. It's not to be noticed, but it's to get the job done because we all need the job to happen. Spiritual gifts are given uh, to the body for all of us. The challenge to us is how can I volunteer and use my gifts? Now, uh, what's the next slide here? Okay. I'm jumping ahead in my head, so I'll try not to do that. If I follow my notes, I might be done on time. Then Paul moves to the third principle. The first one is you are free to make choices, but be careful in that. Then he says don't use license to make the wrong choices, but use your freedom and the fact that you can make the right choices and serve one another. Then he gets into this part of the chapter that's not so fun. You ever notice there's huge contrasts in the scripture when you move from a negative concept to a positive concept and, and back and forth. It helps us understand what he's talking about and helps us know more about ourselves. And he talks about the flesh and he talks about the spirit in, in verses 16 to 26. It's the rest of this, uh, this passage. There are four categories of sin he tells us about here in this passage. I'm not gonna go into those. There are sexual sins, one. There are religious sins, two. There are societal sins that our culture does. And then he mentions several that relate to alcohol and, and habits. He said, the flesh, the normal human being desires go that way. The result of those, he says in this passage, is you will not inherit the kingdom of God. He's reminding these believers, you see this around you in the society, that shouldn't be you. But is it tempting? He then, right after this list of bad things, verse 22 of this chapter, but the fruit of the Spirit is, and then he gives us the list there, nine, nine items here. Why is, the, why is it fruit when there's nine words, shouldn't be fruits plural? Shouldn't it? Isn't that good grammar? If you're talking about nine items? 
It's purposely fruit, singular. Why? Because if you are full of the Spirit of God, all of these will be evident in your life. It's not, oh, now I have to work on joy. Now I have to work on another one. Now I have to work on patience. If the Spirit of God is controlling you and living in you, the fruit will be evident. How do you know an apple tree? You see apples. You don't see pomegranates. You see apples. How do you know the Spirit of God is in you? You will be different. It will be evident. People can see it. Can we always see it? Do you always see it in me? Probably not. But is that my desire? Yes, that is my desire. Is it your desire to walk with the Spirit that the fruit will be evident to everybody you meet in your job, in your school, in your place where you shop? People need to know. You are controlled by the Spirit of God. He also talks here in this, well, not so much in this passage, but he talks about fruit. He wants us to produce fruit. He wants us to produce more fruit, and he wants us to produce much fruit. Those are other passages, and there's no S on the fruits. It's still singular. He wants us to realize that this walking with the Spirit is life-changing and will be evident to those that watch you. Now, I want a, a quick reminder here in the, in the next uh, slide. I think it's the next slide. The gift of the Spirit comes when? At our salvation. When we accept Jesus Christ into our life and the Spirit comes, that is the gift that God gives. He talks about in John chapter 14. I will send another comforter. And he does that when we accept Jesus Christ. What are the gifts of the Spirit? Now, this is plural, gifts. There are a number of chapters that talk about gifts that are given to the people of God. These are all given for our common good. These are all given for us to serve. If you have the gift of giving, what do you do? You have great joy when you give. If you have the gift of service, what do you do? You serve. If you have the gift of tongues, what do you do? You speak. And somebody else interprets if it's done properly. The gifts are given so that we can serve, not so that we can be special. And then the graces of the Spirit, this is what he's talking about in this passage in in Galatians here, he's talking about the fact that the visible character of your life will be evident from these qualities that the Spirit of God brings in your life. Does it happen overnight? Not for most of us. But as we confess our sins, we ask God to fill us with his Spirit, his Spirit will be evident to those around us. It will also be evident if he's not in control. And we've all been there too. So he talks here about three sets of these virtues he's talking about uh, in this passage. Um, the first are these habits of the mind, love, joy, peace. This 
Folks, in your mind is where the battle is won or it's lost. Habits we form are in our, our heads, in our hearts. This is where we need to ask God to make it, make it true of us. A uh, little time of confession here. I work in a, a workshop and I'm supervising the work in this workshop where we teach young people welding and carpentry. I also have to raise the money for that. I also have to figure out when do I pay the URA this pay and when do I pay the NSSF and when do I do all these various things and some days my load gets fairly large and I think I don't want to do this anymore. Just feels too much. And I have to ask the Lord, give me joy in the work. <laughs> give me peace of mind and heart. When I worry about, will we have enough money to pay our bills? Do you ever worry about that? Probably every month. Most of us, the money runs out before the bills do. But God has said, I want to give you peace in these situations. It's in our minds. We have to remind ourselves to go back to the scripture. Then he talks about reaching out to others. This is where he wants us to be patient, he wants us to be kind, and he wants us to be good. When you relate to others, is that what they say about you? If the spirit of God is in you, they will say, ah, she's a good woman. He's a good man. It just happens when the spirit is there. Then the last three are he guides the general conduct of believers who are led by the spirit. You will be faithful. You will be gentle. And you, you will have self-control. A couple of these are also a problem for me. When I drive, I have to ask the spirit of God to help me be self-controlled. There are times when I want to hit taxis. But I ask God to help me be the driver, not that everybody takes advantage of, but the driver that they'll say there's something different about the way that guy drives. Walking step by step, this is where we ask the Spirit of God to go with us in our journey not ahead of us, not behind us, but in step with the Spirit. That's what Paul is talking about in this passage. This is the difference, by the way, in Christianity from all the other religions in the world. What do we have that they do not have? We have the Spirit of God in us. It is the only reason you can be different, because the Spirit of God is there. Other religions try, but they don't usually succeed. Some people are good, some people are moral, but when the Spirit of God is there, all of these that are listed as the characteristics will be evident in your life. Now in the, in the end of this chapter here, he's talking about being in step with the Holy Spirit so that the Spirit is guiding us and, and controlling us in this process. But, then you go to chapter 6, 
And Paul is reminding us of another principle. He says, brothers and sisters, if someone is, what does your version say? Mine says, caught or trapped in a sin. You who live by the Spirit should restore the person gently. Watch yourselves or you may also be tempted. James is a great book. I love the book of James because chapter one, he's talking here about this, if you're caught or trapped by some burden. Most of us unintentionally get caught in sin. Sometimes we walk into it like the front door, but usually we're caught. When we're caught, what does Paul tell us to do? But I wanna, I wanna go on here and talk about the book of James here because in the book of James, are we coming? James, okay. Chapter one, starting at verse 12, Paul gives us a series of steps that help us realize where does, how do we get into sin? How do we get caught? It's when we're tempted in some way to make that choice. So what's the process of temptation? Is temptation sin? No, but giving into temptation is. So James reminds us, here's the process you go through on the way down. By the way, this is, this is going down pretty fast. He talks about uh, verse 16 of James in, in the first chapter there. Verse 16 is deception. But then you go back up to the top of the list. By the way, the devil is the father of lies. He never tells the truth. When Jesus was tempted, he quoted the Bible, but he didn't believe it. Satan tempts us so that we will fail. And he says, how does that start? It starts with deception. He makes it look good when it is not. Then the desire comes. This is your emotions. This is your feeling. Adam and Eve were standing in the garden looking at this one tree. They could eat of all the other trees. Was that a mango? Was that an apple? Was that a, a cherry? Was that an orange? What was on that tree? I don't know. I'm glad the Bible doesn't tell us. But whatever it was, it says they saw. So when they saw, that looks pretty good. Does a ripe mango look good to you? I start to drool when I see a ripe mango. Your, your downward journey in temptation starts with desire. It's feelings. I want that. Then it says we're carried away and we're enticed. Now these two words are specific words. One is the equivalent of a, a lure if you're fishing or a trap. These two words are not good. Have you ever watched, uh, do you set traps for mice or rats in your house? I do. I'm not kind to them. You set a trap and when a mouse or a rat comes, it's coming closer and closer. What happens when, when you smell something in your kitchen, what do you do? You go, <laughs> you get closer and closer because you want to see what's cooking. When the, when the rat or the mouse sees something in the trap, what does he think? I've never asked a mouse or a rat this, but the evidence is there. They think whatever's in that trap is food free food. So he goes towards the trap. Have you ever noticed that the closer you get to the food, the more attraction is there? You ever notice that? 
So when the mouse goes right up to the, right up to the food, when he touches the food, what happens? Boom, the trap springs. Have you ever noticed where the, where the thing that springs, where it hits the mouse, where it hits the rat? Right in the back of the head, almost every time. Have you ever noticed when you are caught in a sin, did you see it coming? You probably didn't. That's why you got caught. So this is enticed and they're lured into there. It's like a net or it's like a trap. Then it says the desire conceives. And again, your mind says, I'm going to take that. Then it says it births sin. That's your will is involved now. You've made the choice. And James tells us when sin grows up, it brings death. Isn't that what Romans tells us? That our sin will bring death? What kind of death? Spiritual death. I hope I never die. Not likely, but I hope. I hope the Lord comes back, takes me up to heaven, alive. I can be like uh, Iron Man, just right up into the sky. I don't know if that will happen or not. But I do know I'm going to heaven. So if I do die on the day when the Lord returns, I will rise from the dead. Now, I'm not a scientist, and I don't know how all that happens, but it's going to happen. And you will have a wonderful new body. And God will make that happen. So he's, selling here, he's telling us here that reconciliation and restoration is always the goal when I see somebody else caught in a sin. My attitude should be, how can we get them back on track? And Galatians 1, in, in, the, in the message translation of the Bible in English, it says, reset the bones that are broken or mend the fish nets. That's our task when I see another believer caught in a sin. That's my motivation. That's what I should do. Try to help them fix it. So spiritual people, those of you that are spiritual, do you think you're spiritual? You don't know? If you're walking with the Spirit, you are spiritual. So he says, when you're right with God and you see somebody else who's not right with God, you help them get back into right relationship with God. That's our job. That's the job of the church. That's the job of every believer. We have to step up. And we need to realize how much God hates sin. Habakkuk, or I love the way they said this in Pakistan. The book of Habakkuk in the Urdu language is Habkuk. <laughs> I like the way that sounds. But um, in Habakkuk, it says God cannot look on evil. So when he looks to us and he sees our mistakes and our sin, he has a hard time looking at you until you're right with him. And he wants that.
So what is our reaction when we see somebody caught in sin? He says, watch yourselves because you too can be tempted. Isn't that true? We watch others and sometimes we think, oh, they should not have gotten into that. But when they watch us, they probably say the same thing. So folks, we need each other for this purpose. When I fail, when I sin, please help me. When you sin, I ask God to say, how can I help that person get back on track so they're walking with Jesus again? Then when he comes to this next verse, but watch yourselves, you may also be tempted. So he says in verse 2, carry each other's burdens. He wants us to help one another in this process. Now, the word carry is, is, has several meanings. To convey from one place to another, I carry my groceries from the store to the car. I transmit or I transfer in any manner I take or I bring. Or the third meaning of the verse, to bear the weight or the burden of, is more accurate to what the Greek means here in this text. Bear the weight. The Greek meaning is to shoulder a heavy burden with the idea that the object to be carried is heavy and bulky. It's too big for the person who's trying to carry it. I have an illustration. Sorry, camera. I'm gone. Now, this is not too heavy. If it were a good illustration, it would be too heavy for me to pick up. And I would say to pastor, oh, I, I can't get this up. Can you help me pick this up? This is just an illustration of when my burden overwhelms me or is too big for me, what are you going to do? He's a good guy. <laughs> so the illustration is carry each other's burdens. Do we do that all the time? No. When I need it is when you help me carry my burden. When you need it is when I help you carry yours. These are burdens. These are griefs, weaknesses, faults, tensions. And he says to us that the tense of this verse is keep bearing. You keep doing this, not just once, you keep doing it. How long? As long as you're alive, you keep helping others bear their loads. There's two kinds of burdens, the burden of sin, when a believer is at fault and needs restoration, that's the primary application of these verses. Moral burdens, weakness that we have, and it has oppressive weight. Have you ever felt the weight of your sin? When I was eight, my parents had told me about Jesus from before I could say any words. We had devotions, we read the scriptures, I knew verses from the Bible, I knew about Jesus, I knew about salvation, I knew all that stuff, but it wasn't until I was eight that I understood how much God hated my sin. And my conscience bothered me. And it felt heavy. 
You know the story of Pilgrim's Progress when he has that weight on his shoulders, kind of like this? He has that weight on his shoulders, and I remember when I asked Jesus to come into my life and to forgive my sins, when I opened my eyes, something's gone. What was gone? That burden was gone. Why was my burden gone? Because my sins were gone. Hallelujah. When Jesus forgives, the burden is gone. It is such an amazing truth. And he says, we are to help each other in this process. Have I sinned since that day I accepted Jesus? Yes. I still need you in my life to help me get right with God and to be back on track. When it's too much for one person, we need to turn and help them. We need each other because the burden of sin and its consequences. By the way, I've, I've just been reading the book of Job. Job is a very interesting book. and I, Sometimes I have trouble figuring out why all those chapters are in there when they're berating Job for what he is saying and what he's not saying. But when those guys, those three men come and they sit down, it says they sat for a week and listened. You know what I need sometimes? I need some of you to just sit with me and listen. What is my load? How can I share it? When you have a burden, when you have a load, what do I need to do? I need to say, do you want to talk? Let's get together, let's have a cup of tea, and I'll listen without judgment. It's pretty hard to do sometimes. Then in this chapter, not only is he saying we share this sometimes overwhelming burden, this big load that is too much. He said sometimes it says here, if anyone thinks there's something when they're not, they deceive themselves. Test your own actions. Then he gets into the next, into verse five, and he says here, for each one should carry their own load. So is Paul changing his mind? No, because he has a totally different burden he's talking about in terms of carry their own load. Now Paul is talking about backpack size. What has God called you to do? That's your burden. Other verses talk about that being maybe your cross. <laughs> that doesn't sound so good, but when Jesus calls us to do things, he said, what I call you to do is only this heavy. Do you know what he says in Matthew chapter 11? Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy, what? Heavy laden, and I will give you rest. When do you need rest? You need rest when you're carrying this kind of burden. But he says, when I call you to work for me, this is your burden. Because he says, my yoke, my assignment, the responsibility I'm giving you, my yoke is, what does he say? Easy? 
Does he really say that? My yoke is easy? He does. So if you're carrying something that's too heavy, maybe it's not your assignment as far as God is concerned. Because if he calls you to do something, he will enable you to do it. Will it be easy every time? No, it will not. But he calls us to do that. So he says, when I give you an assignment, you carry it. You keep carrying it. You keep bearing it on into the future. So he talks about serving one another. We need to do that. He talks about carrying each other's burdens. And he talks about us carrying the load he's assigned to us. My prayer is for you that you will be faithful, that you will walk with the Spirit and fulfill the purposes for which God put you here today. The fact that you are alive today means God still has something for you to do. When your job is done, you're going up. It's as simple as that. Your days are numbered. God knows exactly. So the fact that you're still here means he still has a task for you to do. Are any of you carrying a burden today that feels too much? My guess is in this many people, the answer is yes. Would you like somebody to pray with you? Then you should come up to the front after the service is over and the elders would be happy to pray with you and to listen and to help you carry your load. Are you sometimes not so happy with the assignment God has given you? The Spirit of God will enable you to keep bearing that load because God has given it to you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are so grateful for your word. Thank you for these people and these churches that Paul wrote to. Thank you for the instructions he gave them. Help us, Lord, as your people in this place, in Kampala in 2022. Use us to serve others, we pray in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to God's Word today. Feel free to contact the pastor on phone at 0705-581-369 or send an email to pastor at onelifechurch.ug or follow us on Facebook at One Life Church and subscribe to our YouTube channel at One Life Church Kampala, Uganda. One Life Church is a multicultural community of believers equipped to serve Christ's mission.